G'day everyone, welcome to Mark and Car's Porsche Talk, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. If you love air-cooled, water-cooled, rear-engine, front-engine or even mid-engine, there'll be something here for you. But most importantly, we'll talk to the people who are passionate about our favourite brand. I'm your host, Mark Sheriff from the YouTube channel, Mark and Cars. Thank you for taking the time to support this channel and feel free to share any input, suggestions and ideas through comments, reviews or even boring old email. You'll find me on most social media platforms as Mark and Cars. Anyway, let's get on with the podcast because today we have James from RSR Classics. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, uh, Mark. Really appreciate you taking the time to come and uh, have a chat to us about all things Porsche, particularly with your expertise. It'll be uh, interesting to have a different perspective on the podcast compared to previous ones. So I've been really looking forward to this one. No worries. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So um, let's uh, talk about your background. So you're a bit of a old school Melbourne Porsche nut with a lot of experience in the industry. So how did it all happen? Um, I guess, you know, the, the typical thing is, you know, I'm, I've always enjoyed Porsches from uh, the early days. I mean, as a kid, I always loved having um, little model cars or, you know, the posters on the wall. Yeah, so sure. I was fascinated by them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a couple of family members had some Porsches, not immediate family members, some cousins and so on. Great. Uh, and then, um, I'll, you know, jumping to the pretty much the mid-90s, I, I got a job in the uh, with a Porsche racing team. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, good one. So uh, we were racing in uh, the Australian Porsche Cup, um, which then went on to Nations Cup and then Carrera Cup and a whole bunch of other Porsche things in between. So, yeah, so basically from the, from the mid-90s to late-90s, all up until now, I've just been involved with Porsches um, as much as I can be, I guess. Yeah, fantastic. Look, now, fortunately, most listeners of this podcast, all viewers of the YouTube version of this podcast, are comparable ages to you and I. However, the early 90s is a long time ago for the uh, younger listeners of the yeah. um, podcast here. Tell us what we are playing with in the early 90s. Um. So mid when I when I started in the race team mid nineties it was uh, we had a nine nine three super cup car. Well, wow, um, yeah, okay. So it was a current model. Um, it was it was turned into a GT two, um, just body wise. The engine sure. was still the engine was still super cup, but then I think once that got uh, damaged, it, it turned into an RSR basically. Sure, um, is that car still around? No, that car's been restored and gone back to Europe for oh, um, okay. sure. for an eye watering sum of money. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So it was a genuine Super Cup car from the nineteen ninety four season. Yeah, um, it was a show car. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's back over in uh, Europe somewhere. Where uh, you know collectors obviously got that one. Um, so yeah, we were fortunate enough to play with it. It's somewhere. One of those ones back there. One of the pictures behind you for any listeners, that's where James was pointing to. Tell us, um, James, with regards to your day-to-day job and how it's related to the Porsche brand and really, I guess, how you and I came into contact with each other, let's talk about that for a moment if that's okay. Yeah, so um, I guess I've always been buying and selling Porsches for as long as I, uh, I can remember now. 
um, and always classic cars as well before that. Um, so recently I, I thought I'd step it up and make it a bit more professional. My normal day-to-day job is running another business that's not related to Porsche. Sure. Um, but the one that pays the bills? Well, the one that's been paying the bills for, you know, up and up until recently anyway. Um, I'm obviously been doing a lot more Porsche uh, buying and selling. Um, in the last, you know, five to six years, I've, I've really stepped it up. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought, you know, during COVID, I thought I'd, you know, get on with it and make it a bit more serious and actually, you know, start the company up and rather than just selling a few cars, you know, here and there, um, I'd rather step it up and and, and, get, and dive right into it. Um, yeah, good one. So I started up uh, RSR Classic, which is a, a name that I actually had for a long, long time as a, as a registered company name. Um, so I thought I'd put that into action and um, also have my dealer's licence, which is... Uh, yeah, allowing me to do all this. Yeah, fantastic. And tell me, um, how's the uptake been with the business? You're happy how things are progressing? Because considering you, you know, it's a pretty recent start for you on that company side of things, by the sounds of it. Well, it's a recent start company-wise, but I've been yeah. buying and selling the cars for so long anyway, so it hasn't really made a difference in the in the buying and selling of of Porsches. Um, you know, I I guess going a bit more public with what I do. Um, I have a lot more requests for for particular cars, for particular sure. Porsches. Yeah. Um, I literally get a daily request for, you know, whatever it might be, a GT3 or a, you know, a turbo or whatever variant. Um, so, yeah, it's been good. I mean, I've been talking to a lot of people recently. I've been selling a few cars. And, oh, great. Uh, well, that's an important part of this business, I get the impression. Yeah, yeah. So it's all working out, and it's all going. Uh, it's all going very well. Um, quite surprised, actually. I mean, you know, I used to sort of keep to myself and just buy and sell, you know, a few cars and do all that. Um, but uh, yeah, going a bit more public with it, it's uh, it's really good. It's really good. It's going to be interesting to see how this goes. If we uh, have a conversation in five years' time as to whether that was the right or wrong thing to do for you, you know. But I'm sure it's going to be right. Like the demand for the product in general is just. Yeah, let's face it, it's off the chain at the moment. You know, like the with COVID, everyone at home, everyone's spending hours on their computer. And I guess, you know, and you're in the fortunate position where you have your contacts because for listeners globally who aren't familiar, Melbourne, where James is based, is pretty much the, I guess, California of Australia when it comes to Porsche. It's it is the Porsche hub of Australia. Sure, we have great workshops and technicians and you know expertise throughout Australia but Melbourne really is the heartland there of the Porsche brand and as is evident from the clubs that are based there the 356 clubs started there you know one of the oldest 356 clubs in the world and overall with um, Hamilton's being starting there and I guess it's just evolved from there really and the expertise in the town that's evolved from that I guess their initial import of that very first couple of cars. Yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously, the headquarters of, of Porsche Cars Australia is is here in Melbourne. Um, I guess it's always been the traditional home of uh, of Porsche in in Australia. I guess, um, but yeah, there's certainly clubs here and a lot of um, a lot of activity around Porsches and you know, uh, I guess Porsche club racing started here in Victoria, um, and it's 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 always been enjoyable. Always been yeah. enjoyable. Good people sure. here. Um, and a good scene, a really mm-hmm. good scene. And uh, tell me, 
on that club issue, do you remember the Porsche Club of Victoria? Yes, I am, yeah. Yeah, good. And uh, I know through your various contacts now, common social media links, which, you know, you get shown whenever you're looking at a yeah. social media um, outcome, you're very, you know, you're relatively up to speed and in contact with, I guess, the non-club members, I guess, would be a good way to describe what's going on in the Porsche community around Australia, you know, through that whole R group style of Porsche fan where just a bunch of guys get together and go for a drive on a weekend and then you've got the traditional Porsche club of wherever you live around the world. And But the competition part of it really outside of, you know, CAMS, which is the Australian Motor Racing Association. Outside of that, Porsche Club really is your ticket to going track racing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's the strongest, um, I guess it's the strongest group of people uh, racing Porsches. Um, I prefer to only do the Porsche Club of Victoria days. Sure. Um, or if other people do organise a track day, um, there are some forums that, that organise track days as well. Uh, if it's Porsche specific, I'll, I will do it. Um, I don't particularly like sharing the track with other HSVs. brands. HSVs? No, not at all. Um, yeah, I, sure. You know, they're good cars, but I prefer just to be around Porsches. The reason is is everybody respects each other's car. Um, everybody knows what it takes to, to go racing when you're in a Porsche. <laughs> There's no doubt um, about that, yeah. So, you know, sometimes when you're mixing different makes, I'm not saying it's bad, but things can go wrong sometimes. Sure, sure. And prefer- when things go wrong for both parties, it's generally pretty bad on a track because insurance is a bit of a myth on the track as a general rule. Yeah, it's virtually non-existent unless you're professionally racing, but then that's ultra expensive. Of course, of course. And um, with regards to the on-track racing, I know you have a fairly storied history of having to get behind the wheel yourself, yep. behind various cars, whether they're road cars on the track, road cars are being converted to track cars, or even track-specific cars with the Carrera Cup style cars. Yep. Am, I, am I correct in this? Did I see that you've got a Carrera Cup car for sale at the moment? Yes, I do. Yeah, it's the uh, Peter Fitzgerald uh, 2003 996 Cup car. That's the Enyo one, isn't it? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, great, yeah. great graphic on that car. Very uh, stands yeah. out. Like I'm, I can't believe a South African hasn't bought it purely because of the colourway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I restored that car uh, last year uh, to its original livery. Um, I've, I've driven it at Winton, uh, which is a racetrack here in Victoria. So you know, brilliant, brilliant car, very well set up, excellent mechanicals. You know, it's had rebuilds. It's got everything. I mean, that car is, is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, look, I did see the asking price on the car, which I'll put a link in the YouTube video and also in the podcast below for that car's sale. But i I got to be honest with you, unless you actually stole that car and the owner doesn't know, I can't even see how you're making a profit out of the work that's gone into that car to uh, sell it for what you're asking for. Yeah, look, a lot of work has gone into it. Um, some, you know, 996 Cup cars are valuable, um, but... Mate, every Cup car is valuable. Every Cup car is valuable, but at the end of the day, you can only, you know, the market dictates what that price is going to be, the selling price. So, you know, I've listed it at a very reasonable price. and it I, I agree 100%. It is incredibly reasonable. Just out of curiosity, I know it's like here in Western Australia with regards to the, the uh, 
Porsche Club driving and um, track days, there seems to be a pretty big uptake on superseded cup cars turning up at these events now. Are you finding that in Victoria as well? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have huge fields um, at Porsche track days, uh, Porsche Club track days. Um, you know, some, some days there may be 15 to 20 cup cars. You know, some, sometimes at Phillip Island, the, the, the huge Grand Prix circuit, um, you might find, you know, 15 cup cars spread in two categories. It's just crazy. It must be absolutely daunting to turn up in your bog stock Tiptronic Boxster on that track day to get on the track, you know what I mean? It's, oh, not, I'm not, not in really. that position myself because, you know, I drive that. It's got, you know, yeah. I'm, by the way, listeners, I'm pointing to my 356 behind me that is pumps out all of about 60 horsepower. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, not, it's not a track car and I wouldn't take it on the track because I love the car too much. But that aside, the uh, for people that turn up these track days, you you know, you you drive there, especially to Phillip Island. I'm a Victorian, so I know what the trip to mm-hmm. Phillip Island's like. You get there and you see all these cars on trailers, you must be going, oh, my goodness, what am I turning up here for? No, yeah, it, it can be daunting only if there's one or two cup cars because then they will mix the field. Sure. But when there's so many... They oh, they put them out on their own. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't yeah. considered that. Yeah, sure, so, sure. I mean, there's, there's no way you're going to have a Boxster or a, a 944 or something like that mixing it with a cup car. It, it may happen on the odd occasion. Um and all the cup car drivers are certainly up to speed with, you know, track etiquette. Um, so there, there, there's never really an issue. There's never – I've never seen an issue between a cup car and a, I guess, Slow a yeah, road-going, sure. you know, road-registered car. Yeah, sure. Um, not saying that it can't happen, but – Of course it, it can. It, it, it's, it's generally uh, – not what, While we're on that cup car and track discussion here – you mentioned earlier that the 993 when was put into uh, the 993 Super Cup car was yep. put into GT2 style livery, right? Which for anyone that's ever interested in listening to me talk will know that that 993 GT2 is pretty much, you know, the lotto car for me. Yep. The is a 993 Super Cup car with the engine drivetrain suspension everything is that actually that is it a better car or a better track car than the gt2 road going car um, you have experience in, like i understand there is one or two in melbourne isn't there the gt2 road going cars yeah there is there is um go oh, it's a long time ago but going back to the the 99 super cup um back in the late 90s um essentially well the super cup's non non-turbo Yes. Um, the car we had was basically a, well, essentially it was an RSR engine in a Super Cup car, but it had GT2 flares on it. So it was, sure. It was mixed up a bit, but it wasn't that difficult to restore, I guess, when the, you know, the, the people that own it. But that RSR motor, even though normally naturally aspirated, I can imagine as a raced only car would punch out some significant numbers in comparison yeah. to the road-going turbo car, would, would it not? It would, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the road-going car had 450 horsepower. I Big number for back then. Probably got that wrong or something like that, but um, the RSR would have had 400 or something, but sure. would obviously be... 250 kilos lighter. Yeah, and, and a lot lot um, a lot more lively on the racetrack, of course. I can and, imagine, yeah, sure. Um, I, I do remember being a passenger in that car, 
and just hearing that engine, it, it sounded like you were grinding gravel. Like <laughs> the howl. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, yeah. The howl from that RSR engine was just, yeah, it's just unforgettable. I've been fortunate enough to be in a lot of uh, early 90s rally cars just yeah. through a previous job I did. And aside from the motor, you know, like early 90s was end of Group B, start of grown-ups World yeah. Rally Championship, you know, WRC. And uh, I specifically, being in all the reconnaissance vehicles here in Rally Australia and Western Australia when I was over yep. here working for a specific company, I had to calibrate the rally computers and things like that for all the international teams. So, quali- so narrow sealed for FIA or that sort of thing. That sort yep. of was actually my job at the time. So it was pretty interesting. I got to see a lot of pretty exciting cars, you know, talking escorts, we're talking early Subaru STIs, Evos, all that sort of thing. Anyway, the motor, mate, you could hardly hear it because of the drive of the, the noise of the gearbox, the all gearbox. those straight yeah. cut gears and everything in it. Yeah. Now, you needed ear protection just for the gearbox, let alone, you, you could hardly hear the engine, you know, that was uh, yeah, yeah. pumping out behind you. It was incredible how loud the gearboxes were in those cars. Was that the case for those early Super Cup cars? No, no, the, the engine ruled the world. <laughs> yeah, okay, fantastic. Oh, look, I hope one day to have the opportunity to have a look at it. Yeah, look, nowadays those um, those cars are worth significant money. and Yeah, one zillion dollars, yeah, I get it. They're, yeah. all, they're all back in museums and collections and so on, and, and you wouldn't see many people racing. Yeah, those Ferry would roll over yeah, in his grave if he knew that, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me, with, um, with the job you do day-to-day nowadays with the uh, RSR Classic work, how, how have you found the – Aside from the obvious dollar asking price in the mainstream advertising forums for cars for sale, how's the whole COVID tax thing going for Porsche? Like, if you're a 996 owner, it's been pretty sympathetic. Let's face it, pre pre COVID, it was most 996s topped out at the better part of 60, 70,000. But to see a 996 over 100 isn't out of the question nowadays in asking price. No, it's not. Um, but you know, like anything, asking is not is not what some people. I hundred percent agree. Like when I look at these prices, you yeah. know, I'm trying to explain to my wife, yeah, we need one of these. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she says, um, look, at the, "Look at the price." It, it's always been an interesting um, thing, you know, people saying that COVID has spiked the price of cars. Well, I'm, I'm sure it has to a certain point. Um, what percentage is what percentage of that is COVID, the price increase, and what percentage is just the normal increase because the cars were going up anyway and they have been. Sure, yeah. You know, I guess it was 2013-14 when they, they started rising and then in particular 2015 where they just shot up like crazy um, and kind of haven't, haven't slowed down. Um, yeah, look, COVID's given people uh, time to search for cars that they've always wanted um i guess the other point is that people can't travel um people that have the means to to spend that sort of money on a second third car or if they're in a collection you know fourth fifth tenth whatever sure. it might yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if they're not traveling they've got you know money to to spend i guess um now some people say to me will it crash well the good cars won't um, and they kind of never do uh, because the good cars go into collections and they go into, I guess, in people's hands that, that don't really need to sell them if there is a, 
a slump in the market. So sure, sure. Yep. Good cars have gone, yeah. You know, they, they might be moving around, shifting from collection to collection, but um, they're always going to they're always going to maintain their price. I believe anyway. Um, I haven't seen it go backwards in a long, long time, and and uh, I've never seen the Porsche market go backwards. I've um, I'm one of those tragics that would go on to car sales daily, and like, I'm grown up enough to appreciate that car sales is an asking price. I'm not delusional enough to think that that is a selling price. Okay, however, there are a lot. There seems to be an an increasing number of people that appear either A, to be unwilling to negotiate on their asking price or B, enough buyers to that are willing to negotiate on the asking price. Like, you know, you see cars come and go very quickly, particularly late air-cooled cars. They seem to turn over quite quickly on in that forum, right? Because I've no doubt you look at these forums daily as well, this being your Yeah, daughter, yeah, of course. Know, and, um, and whether it's car sales or gum tree or just for international listeners, we're talking about the uh, sales platforms here in Australia. Uh, how have you found the impact of the site unseen web based auction sites, you know, like collecting cars, trading garage, bring a trailer, cars and bids, etc., on a global scale. And what essentially what they're, doing out there you know like they're taking a better part of 250 photos in and look i'll be honest with you if i was in the market for a car i probably see more on these sites through the number of photos taken there i would actually look at if i went and looked at a car if i didn't get a ppi yeah that's right i mean look play things like collecting cars and those auction sites they, they have a place in the market for sure um but at the end of the day it's still buyer beware um i've had experience with selling a car on those platform sites. Okay. Um, uh, it didn't sell ultimately because it didn't meet, uh, reserve. Didn't hit reserve, of course. Sure. Um, but what I find is that they, they photograph the car to the nth degree and they will show you more of the bad bits than the good bits. Oh, that's an um, interesting perspective, yep. So I'll, I mean, I'll I, expand I have, on this. I'll again expand on this topic once you've said what you've said because yeah. I've got a bit of experience here myself. Yeah. So I, I purposely put one of my cars up for sale on on one of the auction platforms just to see how the process was. And of course, I mean, I'm, I didn't just do it for fun. I wanted to sell the car. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, just going through the process, and and you know, they are they are quite upfront with with as much detail as you can provide. It has to be honest. Um, and the photos don't lie. At the end of the day, the photos show that the photographers that photograph the cars are car guys. They know what they're looking for. They know for. what to look for, sure, yep. Um, and I I wouldn't have a problem buying from those websites. I don't I don't particularly have Good. a problem with them. Yep. Um, I don't have a problem selling on those websites either. I mean, uh, for me, a, a sale is a sale, whether I sell it through an auction platform or, uh, you know, a yeah, classified. Sure. Mm-hmm. an online classified or however it's done. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a place in the market for them. They won't work for everyone. Um, some people will be unrealistic with their asking price, um, but these auction platforms may just want to put the listing up anyway just so they've got stock. Um, that's all good and well. Um, but, yeah, 
you have to be realistic when you're listing with one of these uh, auction sites. Yeah, I, look, 100% agree. And look, ultimately, there's very few occasions where, you know, the excitement of the auction site is going to exceed the expected offer of a the real value of the car from a consumer. Let's face it, you know, yeah. if, if you've got a budget of X dollars, let's say $120,000 or whatever your budget is, and the car gets to one twenty five. Once it gets to 130, you're probably going to be backpedaling going, that was actually my budget. I went to 125. Yeah. I shouldn't have, but that's what it is. And that look, and I, I do think it's territory specific. And the reason I bring that up is I'm, I'm comparing it to real estate because I'm considering these products as a an appreciable asset. They've gone past that appreciation curve and they're now on the back upswing, which is yeah. what we traditionally associate with residential real estate in relevant suburbs. And here in Western Australia, in Perth in particular, auctions have never really had that much of an uptake. Car okay. Houses don't really sell that much by auction. So I'd be pretty curious. And like traditionally, we don't see a lot of West Australian-based cars on the car auction websites. Like Again, like the car sales, completely tragic, me, looking at everything that's out there, you know, thinking no one else has seen it but me, but the reality is 8,000 other people did, <laughs> right? You know, the, um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to nick this. No one's going to see, you know. <laughs> no, it that way. I, I realise that, yeah. And, um, but all that aside, you know, you live in hope. And yeah. the, the fact is it's interesting how different territories mm. relate to these different forums, you know. Like the POMs, sorry, English listeners, we're referring to you. <laughs> nuts for a, nuts for an auction site. You know, yeah. if you live in Southern California, mate, you'd never buy anything but buy auction. You know, so there's there's interesting parts of the world where this forum actually exists, and you know, you coming from the industry, you do and doing what you do to generate your income. I'm yeah. just totally curious as to how um, people manage this and really the expectation of when someone comes to you and says, James, I want to sell my, I don't know, 991 GT3 manual. I see this much got one for one in a, I don't know, in Cape Town on collecting cars. And you go, oh, God, how am I going to get that here in Australia or whatever the number is, you know what I mean? So I can just imagine each day or you must be involved or someone even rings, someone calls you and says, yeah, I want a 99." one gt3 because i saw on bring a trailer they sold one for eighty six thousand dollars american which is one hundred and twenty thousand australian why can't i buy one in australia for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars i imagine yeah. you have those conversations fairly oh, regularly yeah sometimes look but obviously you, it has to be specific to the australian market for us here in australia we, we've got a crazy luxury car tax um our our cars are way more expensive than some of the other countries. Um, but we do sell them for more as well. Yeah, we do, we do. But um, you can't compare different markets. I mean, you know, you can't bring a GT3 from the US into Australia and put it on the road. Our laws won't allow it, as, as you'd probably know that. Well, um, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, so you can't compare it. So that's the, the, the simple, it's very simple. To put yep. an end to that conversation, where you just say it just you can't compare it, you simply can't. With your with your job in having to manage that mentality of luxury car tax, right? Which 
I just want to quickly explain it for listeners or viewers from around the world for this particular podcast or YouTube video. And you'll correct me on these numbers. It's something like 30% for values over $66,000 or something. Is that the number? Like, so. Um, when you buy it's, it's, it's an exorbitant amount of money. It is a huge amount. I don't know the exact number because I don't really deal with new cars um, and I don't really import um, any cars that are, sure. are going to hit that luxury car tax. Yeah. Um, there's no, it's very hard to import cars nowadays, I guess. Um, there's lots of costs involved, uh, particularly for Australia. Other countries might be a lot easier. But, yes, luxury car tax is, is a huge amount of the purchase price when you're buying a new car uh, over $60,000, $70,000, whatever it might be. Sure, um, and it's, yeah, it just, it's exponential once you get that. Right. Like, it's hence the reason why there's about two Bugatti Veyrons in Australia. Yeah, well, they'll never see the road either. They're just for collectors. Um, the, um, but on, on that point, I just want to point out because I know the relevant people in government are listening to this particular podcast, not. <laughs> no, like, can you believe there's no luxury boat tax? No, I don't know that. <laughs> There's not. You know, like if you're going to buy anything that costs a lot of money from overseas, you'd think if they're going to sing us on cars, they'd hit us on boats because Australia has a big coastline and there are a lot of boats in Australia. And okay. I spoke to someone the other day who bought a new boat out of Europe, mm. flew there, drove it back, registered okay. here locally. It was multi-million dollars, right? And there was no tax. No luxury tax. Can you, please pay, can you please pay your GSC? Yes, I will pay that $230,000, but no, I won't have to pay that $490,000 of tax. Maybe we should turn some GT3s into boats. <laughs> I'm sure you've no doubt seen memes and stuff on social media of Porsche-shaped boats with Porsche motors in them and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, so that, that LCT or luxury car tax, it's a killer. Yeah, it's a killer. Um, I think the new GC3 is is about $430,000, now in Australia. Compared to the one sixty in the US? Yeah, okay. Base model. And then it, it'll it'll get to half a million before you throw a couple of options at it. Mate, look so, how many look at the look at the price, asking price of speedsters in Australia at the moment. Yeah. Nine nine one point two speedsters I'm talking about here. Yeah. You know, it's there's seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, I initially thought, how much over asking are these guys are these guys asking? But after talking to the local Porsche dealership here in Perth, that's not that far from. It's pretty close to what they actually paid for the cars because of the luxury car tax and the associated options that go with these cars. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the tax is just yeah, it's exorbitant. It's really exorbitant, but. Luckily, I don't really deal with that. I, and, I look, and let's face it, the important thing is if we actually do crash our cars, an ambulance will turn up and take us to a hospital. Well, maybe that's what we're paying for. <laughs> well, it's got to be maybe. something. I'm, I'm holding hope here, you know. <laughs> we're paying for our roads somewhere. <laughs> we're definitely paying for something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but crash no, me up. You know, I don't really deal with new cars. Um, you know, it's all it's all the classic cars for me and sure. uh, you know, GT3s and, um, you know, Pretty much up to a 997 is, is pretty much mm-hmm. what I deal with. Look, I'll be honest with you, in this podcast right now, I was a little bit selfish in using this as a bit of a topic because I want to talk about the car that got away, the car you've <laughs> looked back on and said, 
geez, I wish I'd have bought that car. Uh, where do I start? Um, you mean, no, but you must have one or two that you think, yeah, that was a real, that was a, that was a, what, what was I thinking? Was I okay, drunk? So there, there's two of them. I'll, I'll, yeah, know. okay. So there is. Yeah, I knew there would there's be. There's way more than two, but two no, of but them. These are, are the two biggies, yeah, for you and your heart and soul. Um, the first one was a 75 MFI Carrera. And Interesting. Yeah, okay. It was uh, it was at an auction, and it didn't hit reserve. It, it didn't meet reserve, but I was the highest bidder. How long ago was this? Uh, two years ago, I think. Okay. Okay. So yeah, sure. Not long ago. Yep. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, I was the highest bidder, but it didn't hit reserve. They come back to me and tried to get more money out of me, of course, and we ended up agreeing at you know a few thousand dollars more. Um, I mean, still a six-figure sum. Um, but the car was worth probably multiple six-figure sums. Sure. Um, and I don't know why. I, I, I specifically remember I was, in a, I was in a 911 driving wherever I was in the morning. And the auctioneer, the, the auction house is talking to me and I said, no, I'll give it a miss. Anyway. Uh, another guy here in Melbourne did buy the car a week later, uh, went to auction again. I think he paid uh, quite a bit more for it, um, but it is here in Melbourne anyway. So that one, yes, um, was probably it, the Is it one. the one that got away for you because of profit or because that was a car that you would have loved to have? No, I would have loved to have. I mean, Yeah, okay, uh, yeah, sure. There's a bit, these are two very different things, so I'm curious, that's all. Yeah, no, no. The, the ones that the ones that got away, uh, these two that I'm that I'm talking about. Well, the other one I haven't spoken about yet, but it's Heart definitely soul. one. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, if yeah. they get away for profit, who you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah, you may make it up at some point in the future. That's. I was just yeah, curious. Yeah. That's all. About, yeah, 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 no, no. You know, they, they, this is how, something. How much of a car salesman you'd become? That's all I was curious about. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah no I'm not really that much of a car yeah I can, I can hear that from I'm, our conversation I'm, more of a, I'm probably more of a collector with a car dealer's license yeah I get that to be yeah totally honest because I like yeah. buying these cars owning them for a while and then selling them and not paying um, stamp duty yeah got it yeah um, well you don't really pay stamp duty on the classics anyway because you uh, with club car um, with club registration you don't pay stamp duty at all okay well don't move to Western Australia. Okay, no, I'm staying yeah. here. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, yeah, the, the 75 Carrera MFI, that's something I would have loved to have had in my garage sure. for a long, long, long time. Uh, it was white. Yeah, good one. Yep. White. Um, the other one was a car that I actually had a little bit of an association with. It was a 996.1 GT3 um, Club Sport. Good car. So, it was one of the nation's cup cars I used to play with yeah, um, or was associated with them sure. before I was around. Um, so I, well, that one was probably different. That one, the person selling that car kind of dudded me on it because um, we agreed to, you know, a price and we agreed everything. Uh, as I was driving there to pick it up, he turns around and sells it to someone else. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's no good. So this was not from the owner of the car. It was from uh, a person that had it at the workshop. So it was the guy 
in charge of the sale that ran the workshop. Yep. So a customer's car was being sold by the workshop. Anyway, uh, yeah, haven't heard good things about that person, but hey. What goes around comes around, my friend. Oh, it will. It will. <laughs> you clearly haven't forgotten. Oh, I'd, I'd, I want to tell you about the one that got away from me. Yep. Back in about, I think it was 93, I bought a 914. Oh, yeah. Cheap car back then. And so I saw it, I read about it in, it was, it might have been the PCA magazine. This is pre-internet purchasing, right? And rang the guy, got on a plane, went to California. Oh, okay, just around the corner. Yeah, yeah, just pretty close to Perth, you know, opposite side of the globe. (laughs) So anyway, I get there and textbook redneck. Yeah, okay. Right, he says, how much money did you bring? And I'm thinking, I'm about to get mugged because it's all cash, you know. This is the way (laughs) things happened back then, you know. I had a pocket full of cash, a US dollars, you know. And um, I'm happy to tell the listeners I paid $2,400 for this car. Right, mm-hmm. and um, I said I brought two thousand dollars. He goes, oh, "Got another car I want to sell. You sure you're nine fourteen? You happy at two thousand four hundred? We negotiated. Where are you get the other four hundred from?" I said, "Look, in all honesty, I was hoping to negotiate you down to two grand." And he goes, "Yeah, okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. But can you get more money?" I said, "Maybe." I didn't have more money, but I just wanted to see where this was going, as you can yeah. imagine, right? Yeah. And I said, well, what do you got? He says, come out the back and have a look. There's a 904 Carrera GTS, oh. Carrera 4 cam car. Okay. I said, okay. Yeah. I, I knew what I was dealing with. You know, I was, I'm a being, I've been a lifelong nutcase for yeah. three, five, sixes, particularly Carreras. I know what a Carrera 4 cam motor is. Mm. And, um, I said, how much do you want for this? He says, I was hoping for 21000 but 19 would get the done deal done today. Oh, okay. Yeah. So don't get me wrong, this is early 90s, so Carrera motor cars weren't what they're worth today. I 100% yeah. appreciate that. And nineteen grand would have been at the bottom end of a Carrera 904 for that time. Still pretty hard when you've only got two grand in your pocket. Definitely is. And I'm thinking to myself, who's awake in Perth that could give me the money? Hmm. So, yeah, I was – and with the exchange rate, that would have been about 25000 Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the middle of the night in Perth. In all honesty, I had about $18,000 in the bank. Oh, okay. So I could have maybe made something happen. I'm not paying that much money for that old – pile of rubbish, you know, mentality in my head. And, you know, I don't even know when the motor was last rebuilt. And I know that motor rebuild is going to cost me a fortune, probably $3,000 back then, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all all relative to the time. Of course it is, you know, but it's, you know, what I think back now. But in all reality, at that age I was at that time of my life, you know, early 20s, I would have sold it three years later, doubled my money and thought I was a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I wouldn't have kept the car to today's, you know. Look, I don't even know when the last 904 was actually sold globally. It's probably a $1.5 million car nowadays, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, it could be. Uh, yeah. It's They're rare. They just never come. What do you do? I mean, uh, you know, there's always stories like that. I mean, cars I've sold, cars that I've sold, even in recent times. Um, you know, even a, even if I just held onto it for a year or two more, they would have been worth significantly oh, more. Well, particularly but, in these current years where yeah. the values are just skyrocketing every five minutes. Anytime someone lists a car for sale, they're asking ten yeah. percent more than the last one that's listed, aren't they? Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting market. So yeah, no, no. Going back to that, it's uh, the one that got away. I mean, you know, I could yeah, go the nine oh four is the car for me. You know, it's yeah. I think back on and like. I'm sure there are listeners and viewers to this podcast or YouTube video that are going to say, 904, that's an old pile of rubbish here called unreliable car. But, yeah, it was designed by Bootsy, Ferry's son. It's the first car he designed. And in my opinion, one of the prettiest Porsches that have ever been built. Don't get me wrong. I understand the silhouette of a 911 is the brand, but when I think early Porsches, I think 904 is a good-looking car, you know. So it's all horses for courses. And, you know, since that time, I've only ever seen one in real life since, you know. So, and as a – and I'm talking this is 93, 94 type Mm. era. That's a long time ago now. We're coming up 30 years past that point. And it's – I haven't seen it another one since then. I saw another one later that year in Australia, but since then I haven't seen one, you know. So just seeing 904s in real life is a privilege almost because our few got built. Yeah, yeah. No, for me it was the uh, 75 Carrera MFI. Yeah, uh, nice car, beautiful car. It would have been good. James, what's on your Porsche wish list? You know, you seem to have had the opportunity to touch and feel and play with a lot of Porsche cars. Is there something that's – an itch you're looking forward to scratching at some point, you're thinking uh, one day I'll get the opportunity. Where's that sit for you in the brand? You know, I'm just curious, you know, because you've got such broad experience with the brand. So I'm, I really like my race cars, um, my, you know, factory built race cars. Sure. If I, if I could ever own a 935, that would be nice. Did I see um, one posted on your Instagram or something along those lines in the recent yeah, I, months? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm selling one at the moment. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm selling one at the moment. It's a, it's not a factory built 935. Ah. It's, a, it's an IMSA spec uh, 935 that was built in uh, California in the early 80s. Sure. Um, car came to Australia. Has been sitting around a long time. Uh, currently being put back together. Um, I was just actually doing some some uh, homework on that one today. Um, so, you know, the, the car will get put back together to a certain point. Um, we'll probably be selling it as a project or as a, you know, a complete car that's all been put back together. Sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's quite obviously not my car. Uh-huh. And um, hence, hence it being for sale. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, if, if I could own it, I would. Uh, but right now, I don't think I can. Yeah, sure, sure. And um, is this one of those, is it a full, is it a full Moby Dick, big long tail type yeah, it's, build? It's a K3 um, 935. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it only, it, it does have the single turbo 3.5 litre flat fan engine. So the engine is a genuine 935 engine. Yeah, okay, um, fantastic. Yep. down gearbox. But anyway, uh-huh. that would be my wish list. If I could ever own a 935, that would be nice. Um, but in reality, I guess a normal road-going 911, 
I, I don't know. <laughs> Just a normal 911. <laughs> one old one, one new one. That would probably satisfy me. Yeah, okay, sure. I, I've been fortunate enough to own quite a few 911s. Um, they're all good, you know, they're all good as they are, but yeah, to try and, you know, knuckle it down to one particular car is kind of hard, but uh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, look, realistically, lotto numbers align. I've got that whole three car garage thing going on where I'd love a nice daily PDK 992 or something like that, I guess, or, and then I'd, you know, I'd be hard pressed to go past the three, five, six. I like early nine elevens. I really do, especially the, um, you know, the two, two liter and two, the two liter, the two point two yeah. and the two point four. That high revy low torque motors. I really like driving those cars. Um, yeah. And then a track car of some sort. I've got very limited experience in race cars. I don't, you know, I've been on track maybe three times in my, four times in my life. You know, yeah, yeah. and the. I know my lack of ability. I'm very conscious of it on the track. So I think a lower-powered track car would probably suit me better than something that is, you know, a cup X-cup car or something like that. So, you know, but that's just me because of my lack of experience and ability. I'm sure if after three months on the track in a lower-powered car, I'm going, yeah, I've got to go and buy a cup car, you know, yeah, X-cup car. You'd be surprised. That a 996 cup car is a good starting point. Um, that's not, interesting, yeah. They're not overly powered. Um, and they're, they're so close to a road-going GT3 or GT3 RS of the same sure. era, 997. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, once you start getting into 997s and then 991s, it's it's a different story. You really need to know sure. what you're doing. Yeah, and that's um, not me. But a, a 996 cup car is, is a really good starting point if you were going to start in the cup car game, I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, well, that's pretty interesting because, look, doesn't really at, at any moment in time, there's probably 20 for sale around the world. Yeah. Dep- yeah. You know, and they all have various number of hours on gearbox and motor and drive shafts and all that stuff that I actually don't know much about, but it seems to be important because they all list that, those details when they sell them, you know, so there must be some costs associated with replacing or repairing those things, as no doubt you'd be aware with the uh, Enyo car and the, or the Fitzgerald car that you recently restored. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it. In Australia, there's only one 996 cup car for sale. Mm-hmm. My one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so there's, not, there's not that many around, particularly in Australia. So basically what this whole podcast is about, you convinced me I need that 996 cup car. Yeah, 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 basically. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, is that I all need, my room? I need these garage X, the 356. Got it. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Make a good contrast between colours. Yeah, is um, it the trailer? Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I need my trailer. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> The, the the cup car, when it comes to hours and things like that, particularly the 996, that Metzger engine can just go literally forever. I mean, there's so many people that that say, oh, it's only a 40-hour engine. Yeah, okay, it may, it may have been a 40-hour engine in Carrera Cup because you were chasing every last single tenth of a second. Hour. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but when you're doing club days and things like that, I mean, those those It's engines, probably a five-year engine, isn't it? Oh, easily. I mean, those engines have been known to go for 200 hours. Yeah, you know, sure. No problem. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a very robust engine and, and – um, That's interesting to know. Yeah, okay. Look, it's, it, it makes the car sound more affordable when you talk about it like that. Yeah, I've never done 
I've never had an engine rebuild in the cup cars I've owned because they've always been good cars and they've always yeah, got sure. more life left in them. Mm-hmm. Um, now the, the 996 is a, is a really good one. Um, yeah, okay. Someone that's not chasing ultimate lap times and wants the last, you know, the latest and greatest technology, the, the 996 is good. It's a good analogue feel. Still got a manual uh, gearbox, of course. It's the last manual gearbox uh, Porsche race car they made or 911 mm-hmm. race car they made. Yeah, sure. Uh, look, a, f- a future guest of the podcast is a local West Australian gentleman who has really silly too many Porsches. He's got three 356s. He's got a three or four 911s, a 911 race car, and a 996 cup car that he bought out of Melbourne, actually, only a couple of years ago. he I'll be honest with you, at that time, I thought I was in the right position to do so and go and buy it, but he beat me to the transaction. And um, um, I think I'd sold it to him. White car? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know who I'm talking about then, right? Yeah. And um I sold him that car. Yeah, good. And it was to me it was seemed incredibly affordable, you know. So I thought <laughs> I should have bought that car, you know, but I just he was on it straight away. He was he was on his boat at down at Rotness off the coast of WA here, drove the boat straight in, got on a plane and made the whole deal happen, obviously. Yeah, that's that's him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I bought that car. That was a really good car. I I, I raced that car once. I don't um, think it's done a lap since. It's it's a really good car. That was a 2004 996 Cup car. Um, that was the Paul Freestone car. I'll, um, um, I will yeah. talk this owner into selling me that car if I'm going to buy a no, car. No, you are. I've already asked. No, no, look, I've got a different relationship than you do. You know? oh, okay. <laughs> I've, already, I've already asked him. Um, I bought that car for its spare parts. Ah, really? Um, so that car came with a big package of spare parts. Um, so I kept all the spare parts and everything, mm-hmm. and then I sold that car to that person. Yeah, I don't think it's done a lap since. Yeah, so I was the last one to probably race that car. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good car? Yeah, it was a good car. Had, yeah, okay. um you know, good history, good paperwork. Oh, look, at, at, look I'm, I've no doubt it's outside my ability, but it's the sort of car that I think – would probably suit me. I was going to talk him into selling to me. That thing, you know, he's he's just one of these guys that never sells his cars. You know, that's right. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking any. He's just recently bought a radical. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he's you know knocking knocking four, five, six, seven seconds off his best lap times in his 911 in a radical, which okay. you'd you'd yeah. expect. Obviously, it's not a road car. It's a purely built race car, so yeah. you'd anticipate that being the case. Um, but all all like. All that aside, the lotto car, money no object, still nine three five, or something else. Well, I mean, if you know, lotto car for me would probably Carrera GT. Yeah, okay. Um, Common answer. Nice. Yeah, but look, not to diminish your enthusiasm for it. Sorry, I didn't mean that yeah. when I said common answer. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, again. But if I was gonna, if I was going back into a race car again, it. It might be like a, a 962, you know, ex-Le Mans car or something like that. Um, I, I really like my race cars. Yeah. There's a um, – I did a video on a New Zealand-based 962 about 18 mm-hmm. months ago that I understand has recently come to Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, there is a new one that's arrived. Um, and I that's – yeah, look – cost of restoration that car was not an issue with regards to the uh, previous owner so if you're going to buy a 962 that's probably a good one 
actually yeah, wasn't yeah. aware it was on the market for sale until I heard the transaction had gone through. So it was one of those, you know, mm. um, James Pappas type deals that you hear about after the event. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of my cars no one hears about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this is one of those. And, yeah, so that car was in Auckland and the owner's got an amazing collection. He's got 2.7 RS. Mm. 76 turbo. Yep. Um Carrera 356. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speedster. Bench seat 356A in mice and blue. So, you know, he's got some fantastic motor cars and he had the 962, which did the rounds in one year. Like he did the whole classic Le Mans, Ren Sport, yep. Classic Spa, um, Classic Adelaide, and one other event he said there's five events in that one year he did, you know, so flew it all around the world to do these events in that one year and had the whole whole car managed, you know, rebuilt and built for those five events basically. Yeah, no, they're they're an amazing car. I mean, I can't imagine the maintenance cost on them, but um there is that one. Means for sale. If you if you are imagining it, it's probably not for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did, you did say Lotto. I did, yeah, I did. Um, yeah. There is one for sale that's come up for sale out of Japan. Um, oh, no, I think it was a, a Japanese original car, as in from a team in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's only about 1.4 million euro. Um, I love how you say only 1.4 million euro. Well, yeah. It seems a bit reasonable in the 962 sort of space. I'd look. In all reality, I'd have to agree. It's you know sub two million euro for a nine six two. If it's pretty good, is seems to be the money. You know what I mean? There's you know nine three five selling for four point three million US. You know so you know and then even even the replicas or, or not replicas the IMSA spec nine three fives. I understand. Selling yeah. a, they're selling for about a million. It's a lot you of know. dough, isn't it? It is a lot of dough, but to, you know, you, you can't go back in time and rate. You know, you can't build a new one. Well, you can build a new <laughs> one, but it's never going to. It's never going to be the same as those ones back then. No, you're right. Well, so look, even you look at some of the values of some of the IROC cars that from back in that era. It's just amazing, you know. Yeah, a guy that I know actually owns one and it's currently for sale. I, I really? Uh, yeah, yeah, a guy I know in California that uh, that owns one of them. Um, I think the asking price was 2.2 million US or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he'll probably settle for 2 million and get away with it and live happily ever yeah, after. So, I mean, you know, a lot of the collectors that I that I know, um, you know, some of them have these cars. Um, I'm fortunate enough to to know quite a few collectors here in Australia that that some of them do have some really good toys. Um, and I, I get to see them and it's quite nice and Yeah, um, it just seems enough for me like in what doing what I do like I don't really have the capacity to ever generate the income that's going to be necessary for me to own the cars that I dream of, but I love living those dreams through other people and things like that, you know. And just these conversations like tonight, you know, or today that we're having with regards to, you know, lotto cars, dream cars, the one that got away, et cetera. I, I, for me, that's – I find it very rewarding, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I guess the, the, one, that, the one that got away was – because I said no to it. That's why it's so annoying. Because I everything was everything was lined up, and I just said no. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it, hundred percent. The um, with regards to uh, any road trips or future events, what, have you got anything in the pipeline coming up post COVID? Um, apart from 
driving literally a day or two to pick up a, a special car, no. Okay. Um, and I won't be saying what that is. Yeah, sure, fair enough. There's, all, there's always Do you, there's always do you get the opportunity to do this type of thing very often? Like do you ever say to the wife, we're going away for two days, let's just drive up somewhere and drive back in a different way? Do you do that type um, of thing? Not, not that often, to be honest. Um, I do like my cars and coffee events. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. And there's quite a few of those here in, in Melbourne. Yep. Um, but as far as doing long drives, it's probably something I'd like to do. Um, but, you know, having a young family is you know, it's a little bit difficult. Yeah, sure. Um, I empathise. Tell me about your situation. You've got one, two, three, four, five children? Two, two lovely daughters. Oh, um, fantastic, yep. A two-year-old and a five-year-old. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, um, and of course, my wife. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so it's always difficult to try and do you know weekends away. I hundred percent, particularly 100%. in a Porsche. Mm-hmm. Um, well, put say your days are numbered that they can fit in the back of one, so you're going to have to start maximising in the near future. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've got a I've got an eight year old daughter, and no one's ever challenged, no one's ever accused me of being tall. So. My mm. daughter's not either, so, but I know our days are numbered with the road trips in the 356 just yeah. purely because of space, you know, and luggage and those sorts of things. I'd, I'd probably do more track days. Um, yeah, okay. You know, in the cup car. Get it, yeah. Um, so for me, it's are not you far really... away. Are you far away from the track where you live versus where um, the track is? Well, Sandown is, is in metropolitan Melbourne, so Sandown is very close. Um, Winton is two and a half If you've got a muffler, I imagine. Yeah, okay. I, on the trailer, it's always on the trailer. I've, yeah. I never, I don't think I've ever driven a car to a racetrack, ever. I've always trailered a car. Yeah, okay. Um, and then Phillip Island's another, you know, two hours away. So yeah, yeah, they're all they're all reasonable. Um, you know, it's all doable in in one day. Sure. Um, and I've certainly been doing that for a long time, and I quite enjoy my track days. Are you feeling as a parent? And I'm talking to you as a parent, not as a Porsche enthusiast. Mm. I don't feel that great about having a whole day doing something self-absorbed as me driving a car. Like I tend to try and my driving nowadays tends to fit around if I've got an hour here, two hours there, or we're all going. How are you how are you going on that path is in your evolution well, I, as a father? I only do limited, you know, track days. I only probably do maybe two or three. Oh, really? Okay, per, yeah, per good, year. yeah, okay, sure. Whereas good on you. Years, yep. gone, years gone by, I probably, you know, may have done yep. eight or ten. Sure, sure, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're We're only talking 20, about per year here, by the way, for listeners, yeah. he's not saying per week. <laughs> per week. <laughs> no, 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 per year. So yeah. it, it's limited how much track time I can get nowadays anyway. Yes, I understand. So when I do a day every three months, let's say, I mean, that's yeah, yeah. not really a big deal. Um, and I, Mate, it'd take you half a day to get your eye in again, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm, uh, what is it? The older I get, the slower I am. Yeah, yeah. But the better I was. Yeah, okay. okay. No, yeah. The, the older I get, the faster I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it's not really an issue. I, I don't do the weekends away. I, I've never really done those. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, getting a group of guys together and going you know, up the mountains or whatever it is in, in, in a Porsche or something like that. Yeah. I prefer to do track days and, and – Yeah, cars, okay. Each their own, 100% understand, yep. mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, uh, good. Yeah. Cars good and coffee, you should come over for them. Well, I will be over there in 
late November for the F1. So, no, okay. If yeah, that goes, yeah. yeah, we'll definitely have to catch coffee or something like that. And my social commitments for that three or four days will be over there seem to be growing significantly with each podcast. Yeah, they will. <laughs> <laughs> Just because a lot of the podcasts, uh, people I'm interviewing here in Australia, who are Australian seem mm. to be very much um, Melbourne-based. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of I us. do have, um, interestingly, I, I'm actually, even though this won't work in the publication of the podcast, but for listeners, I'm actually interviewing another James tomorrow. which is james from auto amateur in minneapolis in the usa oh yeah yeah. yep yep so he's uh yeah he and i've been in touch and yeah it should be some good fun you know um i'm pretty curious as to how you feel about where the brand is going with regards to up and coming owners of porsches you know enthusiasts of the brand like Look, I'll be straight up with you. I'm 50 years old, right? I can't imagine you're more than 10 years younger than me, right? So, you know, as a result, you're not that far away from where I am in life. Mm. What's going on with the 20-year-olds? Are they aspiring to own Porsches, do you think? And does, how's that going to affect the value or the desirability of Porsche cars in another, say, 30 years' time, 40 years' time? Have you ever thought about this? Oh, look, I do because I'm a 356 owner and I'm the youngest 356 owner I know, you know. Well, I don't think it's too different to when, let's say, we were in our 20s. I mean, we wanted to own, well, particularly myself and I'm sure. 911, right? Yeah, a 911. Sure. Um, and, there, and and I knew the day would come and luckily enough it wasn't that far after that. It, it You know, I could afford one but. And it's a good brand for that because the 911 is an evolution car as opposed to a revolution car. So whether you own a 1963 911 or you own a a 2021 911, it is still a 911, right? But if you're a Ferrari enthusiast, the gap between what the cars were back then and what they are now and how they look is significantly different, right? Yeah. Look, I think it's, it's, you know, for for the young guys that, that, you know, guys in there, teenage years, early 20s that want to own a 911, I'm sure the time will come. Um, it would be no different to when we were in our teenage years or in our 20s. Um, sure, we couldn't just go out and buy a new one straight away. Um, but the time will come for them as well. I don't see that Porsche will become un- unobtainable. I don't, I don't see that at all because there's so many new models coming out Sure, some of the older ones, um, you know, will keep increasing in value, but you know, th- there's going to be plenty nine nine ones around, nine nine twos, and then whatever else comes on. Well, it's interesting you bring up nine nine ones because statistically, I was speaking to in a previous podcast, Lee Sibley, who from mm. the UK, yeah, total yeah. nine eleven, yeah. you know, yep. guy, and he brought up the point that one in five nine elevens that have ever been built. Are a 991. Yeah. So there are a lot of 991, 911s, you know. So that in itself, 20% of production, global production ever for the whole brand in 911 is a 991. So that in itself, I can imagine in 20 years' time when guys in their 40s 
Because let's face it, midlife crisis. Yeah, I do want that car. I had one. I dreamed of it when I was 20, right? The cars, just through sheer volume of production, would have to make them more attainable. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and these guys would be a lot more tech-savvy than, I guess, our generation. They're going to be pretty disappointed in the performance of the uh, 911 then because of the – what do you mean my Bluetooth doesn't connect? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, in, in I, I was I was I was going to say <laughs> I was going to say in the way that that the cars are repaired and maintained. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're all, they're going to be a lot more tech savvy. There's going to be a lot more computers out there and a lot more mm-hmm. programs to to sort these cars out uh, when they and the OBD and the OBD plug-in thing compared to be, the cars yeah. that you one that got away and what I've got parked behind me here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. We've got 12-volt wires. Yeah, I don't. Or at six. You've got six, yeah. <laughs> you're, half, you're half of what I've got. Um, so, yeah, so, the, you know, that's what I think. The guys in their 20s and, you know, for the for the younger people wanting to, to, to own these cars, they're going to – there's going to be something for them. Um, sure. Porsche is always going to be around. They might may not aspire to have a 911. They may want a Taycan or a – whatever electric thing is going on. And that's why we wash children's mouths out with soap. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a fact of life. Those those electric cars will be here and there's no doubt there will be an electric 911. Look, you may or may not have had the opportunity, but I did a a Taycan review recently on my – Yeah, yeah, look, the performance discussion is done. Yeah. It's yeah. finished. There's no point talking about it anymore. If you're doing two and a bit seconds, zero to 100 times, yeah. there's, there's nothing more you can expect out of a car, let's face it, yeah, right? It's crazy quick. Yeah, so the reality of it is we need to come back to why are we driving, why are we enthusiasts. Forget performance. Mm. Forget it. It's the, the race is run, it's won. You know, we can't physically take – you can buy a Taycan Turbo S and it speeds from zero to 100 kilometres an hour faster than an F1 car. Isn't that enough? Yeah. You know, I don't know what more you need, you know, and that's yeah. if zero to 100 is your goal. Let's say 80 to 130, the actual real mm. measurable, you know, feeling, driving on the road type metric, 1.9 seconds. Yeah, that's that's crazy quick. I don't I don't need that type of speed. It's done, you know. So let's talk about engagement. Let's talk about where we can use it. And that means a stick shift, it means three pedals, or it means a PDK that you're doing this to on the steering wheel, whatever it is for you. I don't whatever I don't judge, I don't mind. If you think of that some twelve hundreds go, look, I'm gonna be honest here, I drive that thing behind me to my limit. Yeah. The thing is built sixty years ago and it's probably still better than me. So, you know, really, what am I going out buying a 100-horsepower car for? You know, yeah, so, yeah. you know, in the scheme of in driver engagement, I'm not necessarily sure that more modern, better, newer, I don't know if that's the answer anymore after driving the Taycan. I, I think there'll be a divide. There'll be the, the newer generations will be, you'll have two, two sort of buyers, one that wants the older analog feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other the other group that wants technology. But it's definitely yeah. a transition period that we're in at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Like I'm I've no doubt you've had the opportunity to drive a 992, right? At some point. 
Uh, I haven't driven a 992, but I'm sure okay. I've driven one. Well, or a 991.2 yeah, or a, yeah, a 991, yeah, yeah. okay. You know, a PDK car, they're pretty special, aren't they? You know, like I don't know what more you need on the road than what that car has to offer in performance, in by just about every metric you can measure a driving experience from. Amazing. So right now, these cars are in the middle. It's not that behind mm-hmm. me. It's not the electric car. These cars at the moment are right in the middle, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how these car, uh, cars age, how they're appreciated. Like to give you some perspective, I employ a lot of young people in my grown-ups job, right? Most of them are born after 2000, which yeah. right now I know horrifies you because you've got jeans you bought prior to 2000, right? In your wardrobe, like I do, like I do right? So, the, um, <laughs> so whenever – they get in even my daily. The metrics by which they measure cars against compared to what you and I measured against growing up. Yeah. They're so much different. I don't yeah, that's you can see where this goes, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I was saying. The, the mentality of the buyer will be quite different to what we expect or what we thought we'd, you know, be. Um, yeah, the, the new generation might might just want complete technology. Who knows? You might be right. And look, I had one of the young staff mention to me the other day when they were little, okay. their parents owned a Prius. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Just to give you some perspective, you know, like this yeah. area I've brought this up, right? I can't remember the last time I saw a Prius on the road. Okay. Yeah. So even hybrid technology seems to be dropping by the wayside. It was only four or five, or I thought it was four or five years ago. I saw Camry hybrids everywhere. Mm. They're all taxis and all this sort of stuff, right? But yeah. now with the onset of Uber and all that sort of thing, taxis just don't really exist that much. Yep. Don't even see Camry hybrids that much anymore. Yeah, no, the technology is, is shifting quite quite quickly. And, I mean, Porsche is right on top of it. They do have, um, I'm sure you've heard about the, is it the synthetic fuel that they're producing? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so obviously the classic market, in 10, 20, 30, 50 years' time, I, mean, I don't know how long. Oh, there will be fuel for them. There's no yeah. doubt whatsoever, right? Um, and look, and I think the market will reflect the cost of it. Like, yeah. You know, you said before that was a 77 MFI car? 75. 75 MFI car, right? If you're to own a 75 MFI car today, mm-hmm. you've paid X dollars for it. Yeah. That X has a lot of X's after it. Yeah. You're not, it's not your daily drive. If it costs you $60 to take it out on a Sunday, you just pay the 60 bucks, won't you? Yeah. Instead of the 25 that it currently costs you to fill it, you know, or whatever the number is, you know. So I think those synthetic fuels will reflect the price or the cost of using old cars and they'll adjust the pricing accordingly. Yeah, no, I think uh, Porsche is quite smart. They do they do understand where they've come from, and you know, having a classic car in twenty thirty years time, when I guess I don't know, general normal fuel probably won't be available. Sure, they're on top of it. I'm sure the fuel is going to cost quite a bit, but I don't think it's going to be a problem for people that have classic cars. Look, I don't know about you, but in thirty years time. I'm going to have no problem getting into my car. It's a getting out bit I'm going to have problems with. Because <laughs> <laughs> how low it is. You know, so. My problem is I don't know what car I'm going yeah. to own. I, I, reckon, I reckon I'll own one of those vintage McCann's. 
<laughs> in 30 years' time. <laughs> yeah. It still works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't help but think, I can't help but feel like they should have, instead of bringing, introducing the Taika, they should have just brought out an electric mechanic and they would have sold a zillion of them. Well, I'm pretty sure they're doing that right now. Yeah, I've no doubt whatsoever. But I didn't see the necessity for the sedan-style GT car, you know. Yeah, well, maybe. Like, maybe let's look. You, I, I saw one the other day parked next to a, G, a Kia GT Stinger. Yep, looks similar. Didn't look much different. Yeah. Except for the $250,000 price point difference. Yeah, well, obviously Kia's done their, their, their homework and people <laughs> have their spies. And- yeah, yeah, Mission E, let's do that. Yeah, no, 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 we're not putting the electric motor in. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good brand. It's a good brand to be associated with and, and I quite enjoy mm-hmm. you know, buying and selling them and um, that's, that's what I really like doing. Yeah, good one, good one. So it's been a great chat this evening slash today. James, I really appreciate you taking the time to basically have a Porsche crap on with me about anything and everything. I think I've quite enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. And um, I hope the listeners have enjoyed what we've just done general talk on. I've had some great feedback from listeners saying they listen to it in the car because it keeps them awake because it's almost close to putting them to sleep. <laughs> no, thanks for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. I'll, I'm happy to talk uh, Porsche anytime. Yeah, good one. Now, I know it's getting late there. What are we at, 9.30 in the evening? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let me know if you need me to come and tuck you in. <laughs> thanks very right. much for your time this evening. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Porsche Talk. If you've got any input whatsoever, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, please think about emailing me, messaging me, any social media platform, Mark and Cars is where you go to. Thank you very much, everyone. Enjoy Porsche. 